in the New Testament in three passages. We read, first of all, from the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12, the verses 1 through 13. Then we turn to Revelation chapter 5, of which we read verses 9 through 14. And finally, chapter 11, the verses 15 through 19. I trust that you have these before you, but I will repeat them as we go. Let us first turn to Hebrews chapter 12, the verses 1 through 13. This is the Word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. We now turn to the last book in the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John at Patmos. And we turn to chapter 5, of which we read to verses 9 through 14. Revelation 5, starting at verse 9. Here we hear the Word of God again, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And finally we read in Revelation chapter 11, the verses 15 through 19. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let us now together respond by singing from Psalm 47. This afternoon, brothers and sisters, I may administer the Word of God to you as we find it in the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer and the doxology or the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. And what we confess about it in Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, page 563 in the back of our Book of Praise, page 563. In Lord's Day 52, we echo the Word of God as follows. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Will you, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. That is, 
All this we ask of you because as our King, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of Him. That's Lord's Day 52. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 82, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Hymn 82, stanza 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we started Christ's prayer instruction, brothers and sisters, we confessed in Lord's Day 45 that God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. In Lord's Day 44, already too, we confess that we need God's grace and Holy Spirit for our life of faith, for our life in thankfulness. Well, last week, when speaking about the fifth petition, we confessed the richness of God's grace. In God's grace, He forgives you your sins. And together with you, He makes you determined wholeheartedly to forgive your debtor. Yes, He does so because you seek your life outside of yourself in Jesus Christ. He does so by His Holy Spirit giving you a new life, a new heart. By His Spirit, He makes you a new man, a man who loves. Indeed, that's what we pray for by faith. His grace and Holy Spirit, they were promised us. Amazing. Why is that so amazing, beloved? Well, consider what we are like in ourselves. Remember what we have confessed about ourselves in the Lord's days of the Heidelberg Catechism. You could well understand it if God would take His Holy Spirit away from you. David prayed about that in Psalm 51. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. That would be terrible. Yes, even if our Holy Heavenly Father would forgive us our debts, but still take His Holy Spirit away from us, we would miss out on that new life, that new love. Then Christ's work of salvation would be only half a salvation. You would have to deal with your sins still. Now, thankfully, Christ doesn't do so. He completes His work for you and on you. 
Hence, we confess the perseverance of the saints. Christ will preserve us by His Word and Holy Spirit so that we, by the grace of God, can persevere. Also and especially when we face temptations in our life. The sixth petition. You see, beloved, and since we may be assured of the Father's grace and Holy Spirit, persevere in His love and rely on His power, we have to come to thanksgiving and praise in our prayer. That's what we do at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Give thanks and praise to God our Father. Indeed, that's what our faith is all about and our confession and our thankfulness. God's praise with heart and mouth. That's the climax of God's words of the Lord's Supper, of the Lord's Prayer, of the Heidelberg Catechism. So, I proclaim God's Word to you this afternoon, summarizing it as follows. We pray for the perseverance of the saints through God's grace and Holy Spirit. And we see, first of all, we confess our weakness towards God's enemy. Secondly, we confess God's power through His Spirit. And thirdly, we confess God's glory as our Father. That's how I would like to summarize the message of Lord's Day 52, the message of God's Word. We pray for the perseverance of the saints through God's grace and Holy Spirit. We confess our weakness toward God's enemy. We confess God's power through His Spirit. We confess God's glory as our Father. So, first of all, we confess our weakness towards God's enemy. Lead us not into temptation, brothers and sisters. That's another petition expressing our weakness, our sinfulness, our inclination toward evil, and our confession of dependence upon our Heavenly Father, upon His grace and Holy Spirit. Hence, you pray, don't bring us there. Don't bring us into a situation in which we will be tempted. That will be just too much, given the struggles and troubles that we have already in our battles with sin, the devil, and our own flesh. That would be more than we could handle at this time. Yes, comparing it to the situation in the Second World War, that's like saying it's a bridge too far. After all the attacks and encounters, the Allied forces had sustained already, another wave of German attacks would have done them in. That's what we confess here too. In ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Another attack, another temptation, another bout of weakness, and we will succumb. No, then in our case, it's not a matter of praying for a delay in the battle, for an opportunity of some strengthening of the forces, or for a chance to regroup our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. We are under fire 24-7. 
Yes, beloved, we confess our weakness towards God's enemy. We are aware of our weakness when we realize that we are facing our sworn enemies. We also realize that we are dealing with the enemy of God, the evil one. We don't just pray for the Father's help in delivering us from evil, as the Roman Catholic version of the Lord's Prayer reads, deliver us from evil. We don't have to pray for that, for the Father has done so already by His Son, our Savior. No, we are confronted with the evil one. Today also, people would like to get rid of evil, such as war, illness, disaster, and even death. They desire to be delivered from the power of evil in this world, all those terrible things. But that's not what Christ taught us to pray, though. Deliver us from the evil one. We are not just dealing with evil things in this world, but with a person, an evil personality, the evil one, the devil. Many people may still believe in a higher power, but generally speaking, people's faith in the evil one is disappearing. That's old-fashioned, medieval, obsolete. Well, I'm sure the devil doesn't mind this disappearing belief in him. But Christ wanted us to be aware of the evil one who is going around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. After Christ's ascension into heaven, He went after the seed of the woman, the church. The evil one, my brother and sister, that's the same one who showed His hatred for God when He lured man away from Him. His main goal in time now is make sure people won't love God or not any longer. The devil hates love, for he knows that God is love and love is from God. What the devil likes is hatred, anger, division, even death. The devil knows that in the end, that will be his lot, when he will be cast into hell where all he will have is hatred and death. He wants to take as many along there as possible. That's eternal death, where there is no love but only hatred. There people will be avoiding each other all the time look away from each other, turn their backs on each other, so as to show what it means to be forsaken by God, live without God. They turned their backs on God and each other, so there God will turn His back on death and hell, which is eternal death. That's what our enemy is like. Yes, God's enemy. You see, beloved, now the devil cannot stand it when you live by grace, 
when he sees that you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The devil is sick of the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ. The devil hates the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the faithful proclamation of the gospel. He likes it much better when people make up their own theories, distort the doctrine, and teach that man is not that bad. He doesn't mind you thinking that since you are baptized and a member of the church, you are okay automatically without you doing anything with it in false security. It's to the devil's advantage when you don't like it too much in the church. Become disgruntled about one thing or other. Decide to stay away more often. He doesn't mind either when you don't take the time any longer to read your Bible or have your devotions. That's easier for him. And his demons can be stationed elsewhere. As long as you don't believe the gospel of free grace for sinners or share that gospel with your children. He doesn't mind at all when you park your kid in front of the TV. Nice and easy for you and nice and easy for him. He finds it much harder when you take your time to speak with your children about the Lord, show your interest in their schoolwork, help them in their review for catechism class, or stimulate them to forestudy for young peoples. You see, beloved, that's what happens when you forget about the evil one. Ignore the spiritual war and diminish the temptations of the world or the weakness of your flesh. Then you ignore, however, that there is a battle raging. Ever since God declared enmity to the devil and his seed, placing the seed of the woman on his side again, this battle has been on, a battle of life and death. It's the battle that the Lord declared. It's a battle for your life and the lives of your children and your grandchildren. And if you forget that or ignore it, the devil won't. The evil one has a lot of weapons of mass destruction, a variety of ways and means to bring about disruption, confusion. As he started out by asking, didn't God say? Yeah, that liar from the beginning. He uses every opportunity to twist God's words, distort the truth, and make you doubt. He doesn't mind it at all if you doubt certain parts of God's words, if you change the creation story or make up your own account of the flood events. For if you have your own ideas about all that, you will also have your ideas about Christ's sacrifice to satisfy God's justice, and you won't take the work of regeneration and sanctification as seriously either. Yes, as he did in his temptation of the Lord Jesus, 
He will also use Bible texts and Scripture proof. The only weapon that helps in this spiritual war, beloved, is the Word of the Spirit, the whole Word of God. Now, do you know this Word? Can you handle that weapon? Or do you have to admit that you are weak there too? Then be aware that the easier you take it in regard to your Bible study, the easier the devil's job will be. You see, you can't just get by with what you have learned in catechism class. You cannot suffice parroting your mother and riding on the coattails of your father. You can't just stick to the way we've always done it or the way you feel about it that may look good and sound good and seem pious, but you are an easy prey for the devil because it doesn't go very deep and it is not rooted and grounded in God's Word. then you won't stand very strong either when it pertains to the devil's hold on the world, his inroads through the spirit of the age or through the life of man in today's society, which is a life without God and His love. Oh, sure, there is a lot that is attractive in this world, and the devil is good at making things presentable, enjoyable, and fun. Not that he needs to do much to make it appealing, though, for there already is the natural appeal of your flesh. Considering all this seriously, therefore, beware of our weakness towards God's enemy. Confess that we need the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit for the perseverance of the saints. Which brings us then to our second point. We confess God's power through His Spirit. Aware of this weakness toward God's enemy, brothers and sisters, and with a view to the constant and varied attacks of the evil one and his weapons, how can we persevere? Do we just have to suffice with the forgiveness of sins? But do we have to resign to defeat when it comes to the deliverance from sin? Is that a bridge too far? No. On the contrary, aware and alert as we are, we confess with the Heidelberg Catechism and we pray with the sixth petition, will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat? Don't let it go that far that we would succumb. Keep us from going down to defeat so that we have to surrender to the enemy. Never allow my flesh to build up so much resentment, such a root of bitterness, that I start drifting, leaving, estranging, hardening in heart and mind. Don't ever let sin, anger, hatred, or death overcome me. Don't take your grace and Holy Spirit from me. 
keep me in your love or else I will be lost forever. That's why we pray, beloved, make me persevere by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's the same Spirit who moved me to say at the beginning, Abba, Father. That's the same Spirit who showed us from God's Word what this world, this life is all about. Father's honor, Father's kingdom, and Father's will. That's the Holy Spirit who renews us so that we might live for the Father, seek His kingdom and its righteousness, and trust that He will provide. He is the Spirit who makes us live by the grace of God and share this in the life with His other children when we pray, as we have forgiven our debtors. Father, don't take that Spirit from us, but fill us with this Spirit. Preserve us by Your Word and Spirit so that we may persevere by faith. That's how you pray the coming of the Spirit towards you, for the Spirit to dwell in you. That's how it was promised us in Your Holy, holy Baptism. Use Your Baptism. For when you were baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assured you by this sacrament that He will dwell in you and make you living members of Christ, imparting to you what you have in Christ. What a power we have, beloved, when the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Indeed, He brings divine powers to the battle, while the devil is only a creature, even though he may be crafty and strong. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit will you be able to persevere. Just remember how He worked on you and in you and changed you while you were an enemy by nature. He worked faith and repentance. He worked faith and renewal, for He is God. No one can be compared to God, not a devil, no world, and no sinful flesh either. Then you do have to seek it in God's grace and Holy Spirit, and not in yourself. Then you do have to realize what you are praying for the death of your human flesh, the end of the pleasures of the world, and the defeat of the devil and his whole dominion in your life. There is no doubt about it. God does want to give you His Holy Spirit as He promised you and assured you, but then you must be prepared that there will be a lot of things that change in your life by His power. How that works, beloved? This work by the Holy Spirit? 
Well, let's read our Heidelberg Catechism carefully. It doesn't say, will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war He may not go down to defeat? Uh-uh, we confess, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, that we may always firmly resist our enemies. The Spirit makes you alive, puts you to work, gives you discernment regarding the world, and helps you to fight against your flesh. Yes, as God's Word showed us in our passage, we have to fight and resist to the point of shedding our blood. God's promises are life and salvation not some dead capital. Do not put out the Spirit of God, but appeal for it. Use His power, and you will see that you may receive victory after victory. That's why Christ taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Father hears that prayer. Christ knew from experience, and He would see when He Himself was tempted even to sweating blood. By the power of His Godhead, He bore the wrath of God and made us children of the Father. He makes us share in all His benefits by faith. He washes away our sins and works the renewal of our life in order that we may praise and glorify His Father in heaven. That's our third point. We confess God's glory as our Father. Indeed, brothers and sisters, we confess that we owe praise and glory to God because He is our Father and so cares for us, hears us, and helps us. Now, owing this to Him means that we should not speak about this too much, but actually do it. Praising God is something you have to do with heart and mouth. That's what the last words of our prayer are doing, too. We take leave of our Heavenly Father, and we praise Him before we return to the order of the day. You've had your time of prayer, of devotion, of intimacy with your Heavenly Father, and you have come to realize very much, very deeply, how you depend totally upon your Father, and you praise Him that you may find your life outside of yourself in Him, through Jesus Christ, in His name, in His power, His kingdom. His will, His care, His grace, and Holy Spirit, then you have to speak of His power, of His kingdom, and of His glory. Those who seek God must praise Him. Well, this doxology then, beloved, is one confession of amazement and gratitude. What great and almighty God our Heavenly Father is! He is King of all the earth. By His power He delivered us and saves us, 
And in his Son, he governs us and moves his kingdom into this earth. He came into the world in human likeness. He humbled himself and became a servant, and he restores us to God. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now every knee must bow for him, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how God is king, as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. His people may approach him in his holy throne because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. As we read in Revelation 5 and 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. It's with a view to that glorious finale of all history that we already confess the same in the doxology with which we conclude our prayer. It's the doxology that the church has used in the old dispensation, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, which the church is using in our time and age and will use unto eternity. Then the amen to our prayer, beloved, is our confession that it is true and sure. Yes, your Heidelberg Catechism, you could say, gives us a definition of this meaning, but that's not how it functions, though. Amen, that's an exclamation, an expression of agreement. It's like we hear the members of Parliament respond sometimes, saying, hear, hear. That's how the word amen was used in the old dispensation by the people of Israel and in the early Christian church. That's how we also heard it being used by the four living creatures who said amen, and they fell down and worshiped. That's how we hear it being used increasingly more among us when we pray. And at the end of the prayer, those who prayed along expressed their agreement by saying, Amen. Or as we do in our threefold Amen as confession of faith in the truth of the rich blessing we receive at the end of the service of worship. Amen. Our Heavenly Father is so gracious, and the love of His Son is so truly present and the power and communion of the Holy Spirit so truly and really experienced, so we have to confirm it by saying, Amen. Then we go into the world again in an Amen life, a life in which we trust our Father, in which we believe His promises because we have heard His words of grace. We have seen His love in the Lord. We have been assured by, of the power of His Spirit. He loves us for sure, and He will preserve us. Hear, hear. I say amen to that.
And what do you say? 